to Inspiring African Travel. It's James here and welcome to episode three of our fourth season. In this season we are exploring different markets that are traveling to southern and east Africa. For episode two we featured the Africa's Eden travel show which pretty much brought together all markets for the first in-destination travel show which took place in Victoria Falls, Zimbabwe and it was really really good to hear everybody's voices from the travel sector buzzing and excited to, to be back in Africa selling and really feel like we've got the worst behind us and in that same breath our plan was actually to talk about Australia and the long-term future and lo and behold Australia decided to open their borders so they are traveling again and well I don't know maybe it's thanks to the fact that Stuart and I were talking about it on inspiring African travel that actually persuaded them to open up but we don't know but anyway We've got two real-life Australians to talk to in this episode. We'll be speaking to a gentleman by the name of Rhett Lego, who I worked with for many, many years, and Ryan Kendall, who has started his own travel company based out of Australia. But before we do that, uh, just a quick catch-up with our very own Stuart Parker and myself, just as a little uh, prelude and industry catch-up um, before we get into the episode. So thanks very much for tuning in and I'll catch you later. Well, we both are sipping on a tea this time. Times have changed. Yeah, looking world, huh? How's it going over there? Just okay. Just okay. You got out on the weekend, eh? I did. I did indeed. I'm struggling to remember what I did. Um, I'll have to work backwards. Uh, I've just come back from a pub lunch. So um, maybe the fact that I can't remember what I did this weekend was something to do with the long pub lunch. Yeah, maybe it's a good thing, you know. I can think of worse ways to spend my Sunday. I know it's an African-focused podcast, but, you know, yeah. one has to mention what's what's going on in, in Ukraine because it's since we're on podcasts, there's a great podcast called uh, The Rest is History. If Actually, Stu, maybe you can pop it in our notes at the podcast because there's an episode. What I love, I've just started getting into these history podcasts because actually it's very topical because every time there's a new current affairs situation going on it's always good to reflect on what happened in the past because that tells you a lot about the current situation and learning a lot more about ukraine's history that is one unlucky country man the, those yeah. people in that country dating back to like the 1200s and 1300s when the mongols came across these like warlords from from um from mongolia just came through there and like obliterated ukraine like literally just smashed their houses down and killed everybody um yeah like millions of people That's and crazy. and um and then you know later 1400s 1500s you know um there was that huge cold snap uh, around the world or around you know europe northern europe and just devastated and that was a huge famine for that that period of 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 the time and then you fast forward across to the you know the stalin era and you realize that you know they were they were basically forced into starvation once again when the stalin was trying to maintain control of the whole soviet union and they basically had to all their grain everything that they grew in the crops was all pretty much confiscated for 
for the growth and the development of the Soviet Union, and and that just led to further famine. And and then we're talking like like three million people died in that kind of famine. Um, yeah. Devastating, devastating. And and actually, like like before Ukraine existed or before Russia existed, that whole region was called Kievian Rus. It was fascinating. Really, really interesting podcast. You must you must have a listen. I just, I, got, I really, really, I mean, it so- sounds ridiculous just to say it like this, but I feel so sorry for those people. Um, mm. It's just, um, they don't, no one deserves it, but they're to, you know, to endure what those people and their, and their ancestors have had to endure is mm. something else. Yeah, it sounds crazy. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, they also, um, they're not the biggest um, nation, like, army and and capability wise right against such a powerhouse like russia and just it's like almost it's almost like unfair you know and uh yeah it's hard to it's hard for you know for us you know i mean we also like you like you said you know it's all about we're all about travel and around the world it's not you know i mean obviously we love africa travel but to get into those kind of places and to see those those unique places is, is really cool and there's a lot of people i mean of what i've heard you know there's a lot of people who love love ukraine and enjoy traveling there and stuff and now that's also just going to be devastated right it's just going to take forever for them to recover from that well should we start a, a movement Stu, inspiring yeah. ukrainian travel perfect let's hey. do it but we're gonna yes. have to go right well let's do it i mean um look uh i've, I've seen online that there were uh, a bunch of people trying to do something to help and they were actually um booking Airbnb apartments in Ukraine, knowing that they're not actually going to travel, but that oh, their really? money was going towards uh, helping people in Ukraine, which is, it's a cool thing to do. But then on reflection, I was like, hmm, has someone from Airbnb started this sort of like campaign? Because <laughs> they're going to well, get like 2% of every booking. Yeah, I was just going to say, I hope Airbnb gets behind it. And it's just like, well, if you book Ukraine, start yeah. holiday in Ukraine right now in this crisis, there's zero commission. There's yeah. zero commission charge on that. I mean, if Airbnb did that, then bigger to them, you know, I'd be uh, pretty keen to do something like that. Because yeah, those guys. I mean, you can imagine those guys creating those Airbnbs. It's such a cool setup. You can just create an income out of it, and then just as we've learned with COVID and stuff, overnight you just it's just it's gone, right? Mm-hmm. It's just it's depressing. Yeah, so. Let's go. Okay, let's 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 research. I'm sure there's some beautiful national parks and um, and open areas out there where we can get out into the wilderness mm-hmm. and uh, go and explore somewhere different. Okay, look out for inspiring U- Ukrainian travel. Ukrainian and, travel, yeah. Look, um, I've got a lot of research to do. I don't exactly know what you do as a big attraction there, but uh, I'm in for it. There's only one way to find out. <laughs> That's yeah. just our way. That's it. Uh, good luck to them. And then, yeah. Stu, since we're involved in the the industry and we're involved particularly in Botswana, and I'm going to throw you 100% under the bus here, mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are wondering what the hell is happening in Botswana with the COVID entry requ- <laughs> requirements. <laughs> so I would like to hand over to you. To explain to anyone who is traveling into Botswana in the next few weeks or is working in the industry and has clients coming, please explain to them um, what they should do. Listen, I was uh, desperately hoping we wouldn't have to talk about this. (laughs) 
I think it's a shocker, to be honest, um, and fr- and hugely frustrating, right? I mean, when I saw it, um, I actually had an agent, I think they must have messaged me about half an hour to an hour after it came out that they said that, you know, it's fine, you can travel if you're unvaccinated. You know, that was the first, like, I read that, and it was like, no no PCR tests on arrival if you're vaccinated. And I was like, man, that's, that's fast. That's like thinking ahead, right? That's like, being ahead of the game from an Africa travel perspective, it's opened things up and everything. And then there was just that little clause at the bottom that says, if you're unvaccinated or you require boosters, we'll administer them at the border on arrival. It just doesn't ring right, you know. I mean, I'm not sure how many people will be comfortable with that. And I think we just got bombarded, right? So some agents just coming to us like, how are we going to deal with this, you know? And my initial response was, listen, guys, just... Let's just ride it out. They'll it'll they'll backtrack. You know, I mean, it it happened. Let's be honest, it happens. You know, often things get said in in the media and stuff, and then that uh, um, announcements get made made by government, and then they they kind of backtrack on it when the when the industry kind of leans on them and says, "Listen, guys, this doesn't work." Um, but they just haven't seemed to fold on that yet. I don't know how many weeks it's been now. Probably three weeks, maybe more. It's a tricky one. So I think, in summary, yeah. basically. Like, like you said, we thought it would just take a, uh, you know, it would be one of those announcements and they would backtrack within a week or whatever, but it appears not. Mm-hmm. We're, we're pushing hard as an industry in Botswana and mm-hmm. they, are go- they are going to change this law because I don't think the whole world's travel industry is going to become such where you have to have a booster. At least I don't think so. And certainly yeah. if you haven't had a booster, I don't think that countries will be administering booster shots to your travelers when you arrive at yeah. the port of entry. So we know that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I think if anyone is not fully vaccinated, they should be able to travel with a PCR test, clear and simple. And that's yeah. what we're going to aim for. And I think to the travel industry out there who are worried about it and who are panicking, I understand we're pushing as hard as we can for them to overturn that decision. But in the meantime, okay, um, just consult your travel company and they'll just explain to you exactly what it is. But essentially, if you've, if you've fully vaccinated and you've had your booster, happy days. You can travel into Botswana without doing a PCR test. If you are fully vaccinated and you are due a booster, that is when you're going to have to then assess your options, whether you would be comfortable having a booster shot potentially when you arrive or just get your booster done before you come over if you're due it. Yeah, I think that's the the biggest thing is if you if you do the booster and you want to, and you're traveling to Africa, I mean, you know, just get it just get it do done. It, do it at mm. home and do it now and and kind of don't delay. You know, I suppose I'm in that boat. I got my I got my notice to say um due that booster now. So if I want to travel to Botswana, I know if I want to travel there in May for a travel plans, then um then I must just go and sort that out, right? Then it's going to be a nice, easy process, a nice, easy process for me. So, And, and as frustrating uh, as it is, yeah. Stu, we must remember that everywhere in the world, you know, one step forward, two steps back, you know, even everyone here in the UK and Europe, they're all confused about the different travel restrictions and the different entry requirements within Europe and everywhere. So we mustn't bag the fact that, you know, um, places in Southern and East Africa have confusing entry and exit requirements because frankly, the rest of the world is just finding their footing at the moment. So we're in an interesting phase now where travel is well and truly opening up, even in Australia. 
<laughs> so <laughs> let's just um, ride out the next month or so. And by the time we hit our straps, this busy season, this peak travel season for us, I'm confident, and I'm, I know you are as well, that we'll be, um, we'll be in the groove and everyone will know what they need to and don't need to do. You know, if you've got your holiday booked for Botswana and you're traveling in July, June, July, August, you know, um, you know, it's going to be such a good time to go. You know, don't like run away from it now because of that. Just hang in there and wait. It's going to, things will, things will clear up. It is. It is. And thanks again, mate. Going back to the episode coming up for, it was your suggestion to say, um, you know, when we were talking about all the different market segments, the inbound market to uh africa we were like well we're going to talk to the brits and then you were like well what about the australians and I was, <laughs> what is happening with australia are they opening what's going on and here we are they officially opened um well when we interviewed Rhett from western australia he um that western australia had opened yeah last friday that's our weekly inspiring african travel roundup yeah inspiring african slash ukrainian travel Okay, well, thanks, bud. Cool, dude. Copy, we'll copy on the other side. Talk yeah, to you tomorrow. Sure, we'll chat you in the week, yeah. Cheers, cool, mate. Ciao. Ciao. Well done there, Stuart. Sorry to put you under the bus there with the, uh, the COVID entry requirements for Botswana, but uh, you did well, mate. You did well. Now over to our first little interview with a gentleman by the name of Rhett Lego. He is not one of the ancestors of the great Lego dynasty from Denmark. Um, but Lego does actually mean play well. But um, yeah, anyone who knows Rhett will know that he does like to party. Rhett has had an illustrious career in the travel and tourism sector. Starting um, in Australia, he, he was basically heading up the marketing and trade relations for what was then the Australian Tourism Commission. And then in 2004, he relocated to Germany with his family. So just in case you're confused by our many references to Germany and Europe, um, that is in fact where he lives. Um, and his company specializes in marketing representation um, for the inbound market to Australasia. Rhett and I worked together on many tourism campaigns when I was living in London. Um, working for an Australian travel company and yeah he once invited me to the beer fest in Munich and it just so happened to time with the uh, the around the period when the travel company I was working for was busy uh, folding and, and and closing up shop and so he asked me if I'd be interested uh, to work with him um, in Munich working for an Australian company representing some amazing parts of Australia. So I don't think it was anything to do with all the beers I had at the beer fest. Um, I decided to go for it. And we spent four amazing years working together from Munich, um, lots of trips across to Australia. And um, yeah, he really, really taught me a lot about tourism marketing and very grateful for the opportunities that he gave me. Today, his company, TCMG, represent Western Australia in the European market. They also represent Papua New Guinea, Delaware North Australia parks and resorts who've got some sensational 
um, destinations within Australia, Quicksilver Cruises in North Queensland, and many, many more. We had a great chat with uh, Rhett. He's got some really fantastic insight, and I uh, hope you enjoy my chat with him. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, well, how are you, mate? It's a, it's a celebration day for you. I'm, Western Australia is officially open. It opened officially at five o'clock our time yesterday afternoon, and we um, took some photos of us wearing our Adventure Awaits Clamodden and um, popped the cork out of a bottle of wine and um, toasted um, the reopening of Western Australia's borders. So, yes, today is the local version of Freedom Day. Given where we've been in the last two years, um, we've got to remember to celebrate any and every um, victory or positive move, regardless of how yeah. small it is. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm, I'm still going to chat about it a little bit later on about, you know, your view on how WA and also Australia in general went about it. But um, I'm, co- I'm conscious we will we'll stick to my relative outline of uh, our plan because you've got uh, salsa lessons to, to get to and I don't want you to. <laughs> Number three, I think, this week. So one, two, three, five, six, seven. One, two, okay. three. Nine. Are you more of a Cubanito kind of move, man, or are you? Oh, you're showing a little insight to the to the world of salsa, more so than I had when I arrived on the first. I'm um, now we're doing LA salsa. Very nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's one of my favourite salsas. <laughs> Do you know where the salsa originated? Uh, yeah, it's named after the sauce that you put on your in, your tortilla. It's not. <laughs> I'm sorry, where is it from then? Where, well, guess, where does the salsa dance come from? Well, it's got to be Cuba, isn't it? Nope. Not Cuba. Spain, then? Nope. Uh, am I warm I in Cuba? I won't string it out any further. It, it originated in New York. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, in the 60s, and largely because of the Cuban and the Latinos and, and everything, you know, it's the um, West Side Story scenario, right, um, of the Puerto Ricans and the Cubans and the Americans and the Spicks and the Sharpies and everything. But it was a, um, the, the salsa originated in New York. Well, there you go. Another inspiring African travel fact of the day. <laughs> you might be wondering why, um, why we have an authentic Australian on inspiring African travel. But I just thought it'd be really interesting because, you know, we, um, we tend to all get caught up in our own worlds and our own destinations in terms of our struggles and and what's going on that you know i thought it's really interesting to hear uh, another destination's perspective i don't know if you remember this this particular part of the story but obviously we did some great trips out to australia together i mean big nights out in sydney and melbourne and i mean lizard island in far north queensland um what an epic place um i don't know if you remember but you uh you had to tell me the day before we went there to make sure I had a smart shirt on, um, even though we were wearing <laughs> shorts and boat shoes. I had a smart shirt on. So I put on a smart shirt for you today as well because, you know, maintain the high standards. <laughs> but we went to, obviously, we went to see um, Western Australia um, before you had the Western Australian account, but we went up to El Cuestro, um, which is a remote part of Western Australia that 
I mean, it just, it blew me, it blew me away there. It was a, it was an experience in, in Australia that I had never had, um, you know, those remote hills and vast landscapes and like it, they, it struck me so much of back home, you know, back in, back in Africa and I call Africa, you know, home, you know, there's a lot of similarities there with the, um, you know, some of those rocky outcrops and the, the Boab trees, you, you call them wrong there. They should be baobabs, but any case. But, you know, I, I just remember feeling really excited, you know, that oh, this was going to be a new, a new place that we were going we to work with and how much I loved it there. But it did, it, it, it sat with me there, that moment when I realized how much I, I longed for being and living in, 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 in Africa again. And I think that moment, you know, it sat with me for a good year or, or so after that until eventually we sat down and said, sorry. Hey, I said, Red, I have to go back. <laughs> and it was and, great. And we remember we went to the Punjab Palace in Greyfulfin, um, when we sat down and we had the discussion about you needing to scratch this itch that was called South Africa or Af Southern Africa for you. And I said to you at the time, James, I could, I could probably offer you shares in the company and give you a pair of golden handcuffs and lock you into staying with me because I didn't want to lose you at all. But by the same token, I said to you, if you don't go and chase this dream, you will eternally reflect upon your disappointment in not having pursued it. And mm. I'm so glad that you did it and that your life has taken such a wonderful, rich and rewarding path uh, since you returned to your, effectively, your homeland. Yeah, no, too right. And same with you, mate. I mean, honestly, like, I think for you to have uh, an account like the Western Australia destination, to, to, to have that and some products in the area, I just think it's like the perfect fit. So all, all great news um, all around. Anyway, yeah, it's just a, it's a stunning area, and I have to say, I mean, you can really see like when you when you when you go around those areas around the Kimberleys and all that area. There's a lot of familiarity between that and and parts of Southern Africa. Obviously, going back geologically, it's when not we were all Kimberley for no reason at all. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, yeah. The yeah. geologic link between you know Pangaea and all of this is fundamental to see. And the remoteness, you know, that is something that you can really um, achieve out there in parts of yeah. Western Australia that you can only really compare to, well, a few places in the world, but certainly uh, parts of the Kalahari Desert, um, you know. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, I mean, Alquestro is a million square hectares in one property. Um, it has some of the oldest exposed landscape on the planet. It is just the most remarkable old, primitive, beautiful country, and, and that's part of its appeal. How do you sum it up? But how, how do you think Australia's approach worked? It's a pretty open-ended question, but, you know, I just find it interesting because, you know, I'm talking now of Southern and East Africa. We had a pretty um, scattered approach to opening up post-COVID post or the initial COVID. Um, but by and large, we kind of, you know, slowly but surely, most countries were open by December 2020 um, yeah. and up and running. And although it was 
we were, we, it was not floods of tourists from, from, from overseas, as you know, with red lists from the UK and stuff. But to put it in short, Australia, New Zealand, closed, done. Was that the right decision in your view? And how has it, you know, affected you and the whole, des- the whole, the whole tourism industry? Let us walk a little bit back further than March the 23rd, 2020. We had just, we, Western Australia and we, Australia, had just had our best year of tourism arrival, international tourism arrivals um, on record. So our markets were jumping, our production was um, going through the roof, we were actively engaged with trade partners off and on um, strategic timeframes, so, you know, with the likes of someone like FTI here in Germany. And then on the 23rd of March, when Prime Minister Scott Morrison announced that he was closing the Australian borders, we looked at each other and said, well, actually, what does that mean? What does closing our borders mean? And then, of course, the subsequent question to that is, for how long will it be closed? And what none of us realised in an Australian context um, then was that we sort of had it in our head that we were looking at maybe six, maybe nine months of um, closure. No one predicted, and I think no one globally predicted, that what we were actually looking for was, I think, 767 days was the length of the period that Western Australia was closed for until yesterday when we reopened. Well, the reality of COVID for us has been that it has been total devastation for the Australian tourism industry. Um, Tourism is worth about 5.1 billion um, AUD in export income earnings, making it the third biggest export earner for the Australian economy. Um, It employs about 30% um, of our workforce and contributes about 6% of our GDP. Um, And the amazing thing about tourism is that it generates jobs outside of the main cities. So it generates jobs in regionally dispersed areas, which is great economically and for the societies that benefit from that. The Federated States of Australia then took it upon themselves to look at what their own local responses would be. And of course, you all become a little bit paranoid or a little bit protective of your own patch. And so, you know, we found that what New South Wales was doing in response to this thing was going to be different to what Queensland was doing in response to this thing, which is totally different to what Western Australia did in response to this thing. So there wasn't a uniform approach. And I'm sure in Southern Africa as well, you had Botswana doing one thing with a certain approach and South Africa having a different. So the reality of this different set of reactions and responses is not new to a range of countries, but in one country, it's quite unique. And why that was possible, because we were an island, or we are an island, so we could effectively stop anyone coming into the country. And they did that very, very quickly. So in the peak of when the frustrations of those Australians stuck overseas was at its peak in around June, July last year, there were 55,000 Australians stuck overseas that were not allowed to come home. And then when you look around Australia, 
um, the tourism economy is quite different in certain places. So in far north Queensland, one in three jobs is a direct tourism job. And so when tourism stopped getting domestic tourism as well, because there, there wasn't enough people in Brisbane to keep the tourism machine running um, up in far north Queensland. And we have accounts like Quicksilver up there, 62% of the seats going out to the reef every day with five or six different boats, they all just had to stop running um, because the domestic people were also panicking. So certain economies were impacted on much harder, certain visitor economies were impacted upon much harder, say like far north Queensland, than say Melbourne or Sydney was. You, you kind of answered my next question already in, in that you were obviously able to rely on domestic tourism within the country? If you look at a market like North Queensland, probably I'm picking numbers out of the air, but 70, 80% of their business, domestic traffic, comes from Sydney and Melbourne. Sure. So as soon as the Premier started closing these borders because of the outbreaks in Sydney and Melbourne, and they were probably two of the destinations that saw the outbreak occur quickly, um, you know, Sydney's um, the biggest city, Melbourne's the next biggest city, but we're talking five, six million people in Greater Sydney, Greater Melbourne. Um, as soon as those borders started to be shut, closed, then there was no traffic at all. Um, the reality of it is that we then had to reposition our marketing to the West Australian market saying, discover your own backyard. Um, and this was to sell Western Australia to the West Australians because we, we I mean, the McGowan government closed Western Australia off to all states. So we were not only isolated internationally, but we were also isolated domestically. And we, we in reality, have, I think, 160 deaths in the last two years only. A lot more people have died of the flu and of heart attacks and of strokes in that period than perhaps they've died from COVID. Um, and the, the rationale was, if we can keep COVID out, then as a community and as a health system, we're going to be better off. We'll be better off able to manage it. The benefit the West Australian economy has had is that we've got iron ore uh, and we've continued to be able to export you know, the, the minerals to offshore markets. It's been a it's been a juggling act. It all happened later for you guys. I just remember when we were we, we were sitting in Botswana, in in our little town of Mount in the Okavango, when there wasn't a single COVID case in the entire country, entire country, <laughs> and we were in house arrest, locked in our house, and I was just like. Even, you know, everyone around the world was panicking. I'm just like, and then we were watching you guys in Australia and all the Kiwis living the dream, living, living like out in the stadiums. And I'm like, well, theoretically, you've got it right there because you've just locked the country out. There's no COVID in, can't come in, can't go out, and we'll just uh, go and party. But then obviously it crept in and then things got well, tough. Ultimately, ultimately, it was always going to creep in. I mean, we yeah. had caps on. Um, international rivals. Perth was allowed to have 685 international rivals uh, a week across all airlines. I mean, we had Singapore Airlines flying into Perth six times a day. And then suddenly 
they went back to two a week and half of it was cargo. But we had the luxury of being an island. Mm, um, mm. And as of the 23rd of March, um, no one could get in and no one could get out. I don't want to dwell on it, but going back to the, you know, the places in remote, remote Australia, I mean, take, for example, El Cuestro and, and you know, um, there's that amazing place on Ningaloo that, um, uh, what's it, Sol Salas? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what these sh- locals, local Western Australians, were they, were they travelling to places like this when, when they had to? Um, Long story short, yes. Um, okay, the yield of the traveller was dramatically lower. You weren't getting the international markets paying the rates that they traditionally might have paid. Um, and so there was um, pressure on yield and operators had to um, drop their their rates perhaps. But in somewhere like Alquestra, where you've got the homestead where five, I think four, nine or 11 rooms, which are costing you two and a half thousand bucks a night, or Lizard Island, which you know as well. Um, the, the local demand filled those places. So the South Salises and whatnot um, were getting the business from the local end of the market. My sister in Perth, I spoke to her on the weekend, they're off to Broome, they're off to El Cuestro, and they're off to... Um, the Savannah Lodge in Pernaluna National Park. And I said, Di, that'll be costing you, what, about 8000 bucks a head? She said, pretty much yes. So they can't spend their money anywhere else. So they have been able to switch it to a domestic product. Um, and presumably however, they got a better rate being, you know, being yes. a captive yep. audience, you know, so a chance, almost like a once-in-a-lifetime chance, which is you don't want to say that because you always want to support domestic tourism. But we... We had the same thing in in in, in Botswana, you know. Um, we, we we've got places that are a thousand dollars a night per person, um, uh, easy. Yep. Um, yep. So then all of a sudden you're putting out rates which are much lower than that, um, you know, covering your costs, but you know, almost providing, you know, showing showing loyalty to the local market, you know, and and not saying yep. it's not a once in a lifetime chance. I think we've all taken a little bit of a wake up call and say, well, maybe we need to be a, a little bit more dynamic in showing support for the local sector. And, and reflective on your market mix. I mean, I think, you know, for certain products, um, something like True North, which is truly a remarkable cruise product, um, you know, a 10-day cruise on that is going to cost you 10000 bucks per person. Um, so, and they've traditionally always relied upon the international market. There has been very little domestic market there for that. They've managed to switch. They've managed to alter their pricing. And all of the Kimberley cruise boats have done that. But when you look at the, I think I saw a number that said there are 63 million outbound trips by Australians annually from Australia. And so, you know, West Australians' closest beach is Lombok or Bali in reality. You know, they, they all go up there. And so all of this offshore traffic had nowhere to go. So they couldn't go to Thailand. They couldn't go to Langkawi. They couldn't go to Bali. They couldn't go skiing in um, Japan or whatever. So all of this demand switched locally. The challenge now is, of course, that for a lot of properties, they've had two years' worth of marketing to a domestic audience, and some of them have got relatively comfortable with that. 
And now they're going to suddenly find that demand is going to drop off. That top 20 or 30% of their mix is going to disappear because they're going offshore again. They're going to Italy and, and what and I mean, we're looking after the marketing of the, the Rome Perth direct flight for Qantas. And you know, the first two flights out of Perth are already full um, because it's full of Aussies who want to get out of Australia and go to Europe. The products domestically have now got to begin to reactivate their international marketing focus and attention. And there is going to be a build-up time where product has to begin to get active again in marketing themselves internationally. It's nice to hear from your side that the Australians are booking up and jumping on, on the Qantas flight to Rome. Um, I, do you know anything on your side about demand for um, Australians coming out to places like Africa? There is little doubt that pent-up demand is going to be a facet of all what I would call relatively mature Western markets. Um, but I shouldn't say Western. I, I would just say relatively mature, mature markets. The fact that people haven't been able to travel and that travel is such an important thing to our souls and to our well-being will indicate that demand, outbound demand will be very strong. Um, and it doesn't matter whether or not that is to Rome or whether or not it's to Africa, um, the demand exists. You know, to quote that off-quoted saying, you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Uh, even in a, a period of great uncertainty, you've still got to put plans in place. And okay, oh, yeah. if you've got to change them, you've got to change them. But um, I'm, I'm firmly of the opinion that we've got to plan for the reality of the world we're living in, but we've got to move forward. We've got to look forward. Happy days, man. And um, well, you must be pumped to get back to Australian soil. I'm booked to head out of here on the 9th, I think, of May. I will go down for my 33rd consecutive ATE, which I'm very much looking forward to. I'm loving the idea of I've just been planning my big lunches in Perth um, in the week prior to ATE. And I, yeah, in answer to your question, um, long story short, I can't wait um, to smell that Perth air and to see that sunset in the west behind me um, and to taste some, some wine and, and break some bread with some great travel colleagues. I, I, I'm just, I'm excited at the thought and the prospect, but it's not something that I've allowed myself to dream too much into it. Basically, when it happens, it happens. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Well, nice to see. I'm glad the international travellers haven't um, forgotten about Australia. Well, we'll see. Um, well, it's our job to make sure they haven't. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah. as this is an African uh, travel podcast, can you share your experiences or lack thereof of travelling around uh, Africa? To be candid with you, I have been to Southern Africa once and I've been to Northern Africa once. Um, Southern Africa was limited to Joburg and Cape Town. I was there for a week on business. It's a continent that I, um, I hanker to get back to. Um, whether or not I do it in my dotage or whether or not, you know, I come and spend some time in the Okavango with you, uh, either way, um, I will certainly be coming back. Well, um Invitation, as you know, is well and truly uh, there. It's just waiting for you to put the date on the do dotted line, and um, and yeah, I'll, we'll show you how it's we'll show you how it's done, right? 
as and when we are able to afford it and as and when time allows us to do it, um, guaranteed you will get an email or a phone call from me to say we're coming. Excellent. Well, in the meantime, we'll just look forward to... Huh? I was going to say, I just hope your business is, is that bloody good that you don't have availability for me at a good rate? <laughs> no, we will most definitely uh, make a plan for you and the missus to come and visit. It would be an absolute pleasure. But in the meantime, we'll look forward to having a beer whenever it is in the next few months, maybe. I'll share a few pictures of uh, you, and, you and me. Um, I, I dug out from our trip to uh, WA and Lizard and uh, I'll put it on our Instagram Highlights Be so careful. people can see what it. What comes around goes around. James. <laughs> I distinctly remember some pic- pictures with me with my huge flowing David Hasselhoff um, afro that has somewhat disappeared. Uh, but you were you were already bald, uh, Red. Yeah, um, David Hasselhoff has been someone that I've never aspired to emulate. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I think roundabout now is a good time to end this interview. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure, mate. Good, uh, good, good guess. Thank you. Um, and, and yeah, I'm glad that I was able to um, provide some insights that may be of worthwhile to your podcast. Ah, oh, Ritz, top man. So good to catch up with him again. And, uh, and he's certainly seen a lot through the industry. And if you're looking for someone to help you um, with your destination or, or product, you should definitely get in touch with them and uh, of course their details will be will be down in the notes of the podcast next up i spoke to a good friend of mine ryan kendall who has the african travel sector absolutely running through his veins for a number of years ryan headed up the product contracting for adventure world in sydney uh, who are one of the largest producers of outbound travelers to certainly Southern Africa, but uh, a big producer for East Africa as well from the Australian and New Zealand market. I met Ryan for the first time, I think it was in 2016 when he came to Botswana for an epic familiarization trip around our camps and lodges. And uh, like everybody, he had to reevaluate his career during this pandemic. And we're really excited that an inspiring African travel exclusive. Ryan is launching his own travel company. The Instagram page is up and running. The website will be out in a few months, Untamed Safaris. And he'll be focusing on bespoke trips to Southern and East Africa from the Australian market. So his details will be there as well. And it was really great catching up with Ryan just to get his view on the Australian market how it was affected by COVID and what the future is for travel within Africa. Good day, Ryan. Good day, Ryan. There he is. You got me? There he is. Yeah, got you, mate. You're celebrating. Um, Australia's open. Yeah, yeah. 20, 21st of Feb. Come on <laughs> in. Um, it's good. It's, and we're starting to see a few, I'm seeing on my Facebook, you know, a few strains traveling. Um, which is good because I think, you know, the, the posting and it kind of encourages everyone else, you know, this is all right, you can travel. Um, there's not a big boogeyman out to get you overseas. So, no, no it, it's good. And then New Zealand is, uh, well, I don't know, New Zealand's a, a, a different case altogether. Um, Still shut, eh? Basically. 
still shot yeah but it's just i just find it yeah. fascinating I, I have the whole time how that the world has just taken there's lots of different um approaches that different countries have taken over this last pandemic and i i just i don't know when we'll know who when will we find out who did exactly the right thing you know um, yep was it you guys in new zealand and was it countries like Tanzania, which was just a free for Just go broke. <laughs> well, I guess with Tanzania, right, they can't lock down. Like, you can't really stock, go to, you know, the, the grocery store and stock two weeks worth of food. You know what I mean? It's just not nah. possible. So, but what's, uh, so I was, I was thinking earlier when, when we last saw each other and shit, it was in, it was in Mount, just after you were the, like, Mount. the last agents standing in um, yeah. Botswana. Yeah. And and we were all freaking out that we were just gonna have to get locked down and live in Botswana for three months. It's kind of funny looking back on that then, you mean? And we were like, no, you know, this will be a month or two. Don't stress. And mm. um, and now, just here we are, two years later. But yeah, we were the last last fam, I think, in Africa. Still definitely you were. Ahead. And you were. Yeah. It was really weird because I, I wasn't with you on that trip, obviously. But when I saw you in Man. I could see like you had this buzz, this vibe going on, like, oh, you've just, you know, had an amazing time out there. Yeah. And it was amazing, wasn't it? And then, yeah, oh, it was great. you were like consumed by this stress <laughs> of how you're going to get yeah. home and all the yeah. all your travel agents that were with you. Well, that that was the hard part. It was the travel agents, right? Like I, yeah. I was fine, but it was just managing them. Like, oh, we want to go home. And th- this was at Savuti. I was like, right. And I was, um, you know, you guys were great. You were going to send a plane the next morning. People wanted to fly to Mount and try to get home. So I'm like, before the afternoon game drive, I'm like, well, you need to decide. I mean, if, if this is getting too hectic for you and you just want to get to Joburg and get on whatever flight, decide now. And then they were like, oh, but, you know, I mean, they, didn't, they wanted to have their cake and eat it too. And they're like, mm. well, can we let you know tomorrow afternoon? I'm like, no, they're not going to send one plane per day for one person. It's like... You gotta, you gotta decide now. And in the end, everyone, it, it turns out that we rang South African Airways, and they said, "We'll just do what you're doing because your flight hadn't been cancelled at that point." Mm. So, like, stay on your original flight. So we're like, "Well, we might as well keep going." And then that ended up getting cancelled, anyways. But oh, it was, it was a roller coaster that trip. I kept saying to all the agents, "I'm like, stop, stop worrying. They're not going to not let citizens back home." Yeah, yeah maybe, <laughs> maybe they were. <laughs> uh, maybe classic. And yourself, mate. So um, obviously, you you retained your role with Adventure World for quite quite a while. And then, mm. what, how did the decision making process go to to leave the company? Yeah, yeah. I just I just thought at Adventure World it was going to be a long time before there was any kind of career growth or prospects yeah. for me. And I kind of had this whole idea that I could start my own safari company bubbling away in my, in my mind, even if it was just kind of consulting on the weekend and if I do one or two bookings a month, just, you know, um, that level. But I was like, I really can't do that while I'm at Adventure World. Even inspiring African travel is a product of uh, a little nudge from the pandemic because I think, you know, you had that in the back of your mind, like a vision, a dream to have your own yep. company. And then that's like... Yep that's the nudge that you need, you know? So yeah. that's the old cliche blessing in disguise because, you know, yeah. you've got this thing now. Um, yeah. You've got a domain. You've got a, you've got a Facebook page. You've got to make it happen, dude. Yeah, yeah. Business registered. <laughs> it's, got, it's got to happen. 
Amazing. Um, and how how's it been with getting hold of the the suppliers over in Cape Town, South Africa, and stuff? I mean, you knew them so well. You've got all the relationships, right? Yeah. Well, well, that's right. Yeah. So I mean, um, Springbok I know so well, and in East Africa I've got Pullmans, and um, you know a few select suppliers I like to work directly with as well. And you know, I think with the two or three large DMCs, you mean I can I can start. Yeah, I've got, I've got and that's the thing I kept. I kept saying to myself, there's really n- no reason not to do this. I have the contacts. I have the knowledge. It's low capital. Um, there's just really no reason. I kept having all these little moments as well where I could get a text from Shane White, the Wild Horizon. I was just on his WhatsApp group, right? Um, it wasn't a personalized text to uh. Zimbabwe opening. I just thought, how many other people would have the CEO of a, you know, have that level of contact um, in Australia? And it's, it's, it's a really short list. So I thought the timing's right, and a lot of them had just been decimated. I mean, bench and all of them, they're, they're down to Jeez. two or three employees. So wow. I, I'm kind of competing on a, you know, at level with them for at least a little while. Um, so there was a few things that I just thought, you know, you know this, is, um, this is an opportunity. So we'll see how we go. Did you, did you, go, did you work in a, in a zoo for a while? Or are, you, are, you still, are you volunteering or helping out yeah, there? Yeah. At Taronga Zoo? yeah yeah that's what i'm working at the moment so awesome um yeah i'm the product manager there we're basically marketing so we have um a product called raw and snore it's tented safari camps that um overlook the city and then you do behind the scenes zoo stuff and then they built this new product called the wildlife retreat which is a 62 bed eco retreat and there's no like wildlife out the room and there's all this native australian animals like habitat throughout the hotel how uh, you obviously know firsthand having been involved with taronga zoo but how have uh, how have some of the lodges and the camps and the the the, the remote areas around australia uh, you know I, that's why i wanted to do this australian thing was just just to see that you know we get so sucked up in our in our own world um what's going on in southern and east africa uh, you know and curious just to see what happened there the, the good thing for these lodges is there was a huge demand. Uh, you know, Australians had about 8 mi- million people went overseas per year. So there was a huge captive audience in, in Australia and they, ha- and they had the money to spend as well because there was so much stimulus money floating around. So they, they had a really good opportunity there, but it was just so tough. Two things, uh, domestic borders were closing. So if you're in Sydney, you just couldn't go to Queensland. It was, it was like we were now seven different countries in one country. So you're really kind of restricted to within your state, which just made it extremely tough. And then the other kind of factor is that we all rely on um, backpackers and working holiday visas so much that there was a report that came out in December that there's 200,000 shortage of hospitality workers in Australia. So we had we had cases in january we closed nine nights even though we were full and had to refund everyone just because we couldn't open because we didn't have the staffing um to fill the restaurant and all the hospitality staff so that's been a massive challenge as well so most a lot of them have done well and and i think they have um been able to capture that domestic market but i i just still don't think it kind of makes up for what you get from an international market And, and sydney in particular i think the cbd is really struggling um, massively, just you know, yeah. without international kind of tourists, you might get some weekend business, but that's about it. What's your sense of obviously you were talking about the Qantas thing earlier, but what's the sense from 
um, your old industry colleagues and general punters, are they ready to pack their bags? And, and I mean, are they A, are they booking? And, and B, are, yeah. they, are they ready to travel? Uh, Commonwealth Bank kind of came out and reported that there's an extra $300 billion in, in people's bank accounts in Australia because no one's been able to spend and there's been all this government stimulus. So there's a huge stockpile of cash and, and a lot of time to make up, I think. So I think once we cut, start seeing people go overseas and, and return and, and, you know, post their photos on socials and say, oh, I had a great time. And then, you know, that's when people really kind of kick into gear and, and uh, start moving, I think. So it's a trickle at the moment, but I think by the end of 2022, it's, it's going to really pick up. And places like Africa, sitting in a good position, what's your feeling? Uh, yeah, I, I, it is. It is. I, th- I think the problem with Africa and, and from the Australian market is that it's, people just see it as one whole. It's just kind of like any bad news is all Africa bad news. So it's very hard to kind of separate that, you know, you can go to South Africa and there's very good hospital facilities. Africa done extremely well. They were, you know, even when I was in Botswana at the beginning, you know, they were temperature checking us when we're coming into bots on that fan trip, right? They were prepared. They were kind of had it together, right? But there's probably a sense that, oh, like, oh, Africa is not going to handle this well and the pandemic is going to be a disaster over there. So that, that's always a bit of a fear for people, but especially the first timers. I think if you've been to Africa, you know, you, you want you want to go back and you're aware of, you know, what it's like. But that might be hard. I, I think traditional western like us uk they will come back first and then it'll be you know south american africa following mm. that one's more confidence it is a fair point though because uh, you know i've always taken it for granted but um and then you wonder how well how can people be so stupid to, to yeah. think like this thing about africa but then you realize looking at ukraine and, and russia and then i was thinking to myself how much do i know about that part of the world and i yeah i can tell you i know Not nothing, <laughs> nothing. And, and 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 genuinely you know part of it is you know doesn't interest me and you know yeah. like but who's to say one day you know like that part of the world is not an amazing place to go and visit you know i'm just giving you this example and sometimes yeah. it, you know, it's it's understandable to realize that some people are just you know when it comes to africa clueless yeah yeah massively i think uh, the the, when I was at kind of Adventure World and TTC, the, the managing the director, actually, Dave Hoskins, he was like, you need to understand that like travel's a, a want, not a need. Mm. So you can delay wants, you know what I mean? You can go, well, I will go to Africa, but I'll just go in a couple of years kind of thing. So it's a very easy thing to delay and the world's a big, amazing place and there is so many destinations. In saying that, you know, when the start of the pandemic, everyone's like, well, Africa's kind of the tourism experience built for um a pandemic you know i mean you other than cape town you're not in any really urban areas to speak of you're in a remote bush um you're really you know you're coming in contact with animals more than you are people so it is really kind of the, the product is kind of perfectly built for a for you know a, a pandemic essentially but it's just whether people have the confidence i guess to kind of jet over to the continent in the first place but i think people will yeah. Um, yeah, I think it will come back. It's, it's just hard to say um, to what level. What sort of things do you say to to people like what's in your arsenal without giving away your secrets? But, you know, in just terms of like 
forgetting the COVID side of things, but, you know, assuring someone who wants to go to South Africa, Cape Town, up to Kruger, maybe Victoria Falls into Zimbabwe or whatever. I mean, and they're asking you, is it safe? You know, like, because obviously that's the, yeah. the big concern, you know. Um, I think I generally explain that most of your time, you know, you're in either national parks or you're with a guide or someone showing you around. It's not like, say, when you're in London and you're just, you know, getting the tube and bar hopping and it's, very, it's just not that kind of destination. So it's, even though you're traveling independently and you might have tailor-made a trip, there's someone kind of with you or looking after you most of the way. And in Cape Town, you might have a bit of independence there. But otherwise, you're either kind of in the bush or, or you know, you, ha you have someone taking you. And the safety, I mean, especially in BOTS and Zim and Zambia, it's so, it's amazing, right? So you got married. Has your, yeah. is Christine your wife? Yeah, Christine, yeah. She been yeah. to Africa? She has, yeah. So she's... Uh, been three times now so she did twice she did like an overland uh trip before she met me and then we snuck in a trip in october 2019 mostly south africa from memory we did uh kruger sabi sands cape town and a few places around there so yeah she's tasted the finer things now um and she's actually it's funny enough she's actually in training to become cabin crew for Qantas at the moment Ah, so she brilliant. started her training two days ago. So I, I'm very much looking forward to staff airfares. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess staff travel. I'm on standby, but I can probably get to Joburg for you know, a couple hundred dollars, um, ah, which is mate. kind of exciting. And you're running your own business now. So pack that laptop and uh, yeah, long weekend in Cape Town um, while yeah. your missus uh, has her R&R &R and you fly back. Exactly. Talk through quickly a bit about your timeline. Like, you know, business is registered. The branding is, is, is sharp and ready. You got your contacts and you, you know, what's, what's, the, what's the ideal timeline? Yeah, so we hope to launch the website probably June or July. Um, obviously quite a bit of content to build into there and to really make sure that the consumer journey is really good you know, I mean that you're, you're navigating around and you're really kind of understanding the Africa experience so I'm putting a lot of effort into that and 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 importantly I want to actually launch three or four itineraries per destination make sure that I have some products that people can kind of view and and you know and it come to me and based on price as well so uh, that, that would be June or July and and then from there I think it'll be like a slow transition um, just see how it builds but yeah I, I think for me it's just to make sure that I manage costs and, and grow strategically and mm. um, not get ahead of myself too much but um, just to focus on the customer and and uh, keep building that, and I think if you if you're giving the customer great service, you're going to grow. Um, mm. uh, and the referral business will be something that will be ideal for your business. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but if somebody is listening or you know wants to get in touch with you, um, we'll got your email address there as well. Or they can contact you through Instagram, Facebook, whatever the case is, and and you're you're ready to to plan a trip for anybody who wants to, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm ready and very eager to kind of plan people's trips to Africa and, and make sure that they're, you know, getting the best value when they, when they go to Africa and importantly, just help them navigate what might still be kind of a bit of a tricky kind of landscape and, and travel um, 
as well. So yeah, ready and waiting. And I think it's kind of a really exciting time for people to get back into travel as, as well. You know, I mean, there's probably some good deals out there and there's a good opportunity to be almost like a pioneer in travel again for this, you know, next 12 months, you'll really be taking the charge and um, yeah, getting back to places that might be a little bit quieter than what you'd normally expect. Mm, definitely. Well, I can't think of a better person to do it, man. Having seen you in action over there in, uh, in Botswana, it's a place you, you really freaking love. Yeah, I, I love it. And it was funny when I stepped away from, you know, only for the last six months when I've stepped away from uh, working Africa full time, I just automatically knew, right? I just, it was just like, as soon as I had left, I was like, nah, that's, you know, where I'm meant to be. I feel like it was kind of, you know, as soon as I stepped foot in Africa, one of my first safari many years ago, I just knew, right? This is, this is what I want to dedicate my working life to. And it's, uh, it's exciting to be kind of pursuing that kind of under my own steam and uh, kind of creating my vision of a safari company. If you could jump in, um, jump across to Southern East Africa, anywhere, anywhere on your list, like uh, you really want to go there and explore or a place you want to go back? What's, um, what are you itching? Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have two that's really high on the list. Um, South Luanga, haven't been to, but I'm really dying to get into that national park. It just looks absolutely unreal and, and some incredible kind of, you know, walking safaris and just just a, an amazing national park. And the other one says, is in your neck of the woods is uh, Central Kalahari um, mm-hmm. Game Reserve. Mm-hmm. So just, just having at this stage had the chance to go there, but I, I'm very keen to get there and uh, kind of see um, how it's different and, and check it out untamed safaris i said i'd have the i'll have your um instagram um page up there um the website as you say will be up and running later but at least people will know how to get hold of you and uh and and wish you all the best of luck with that mate and you've got our support as you know what what time it's it's nearly 7 p.m what's the plan uh what's tonight saturday not much saturday night mate (laughs) saturday i know (laughs) Uh, not much. You know, it's, it's Mardi Gras weekend in Sydney. Uh, oh, weekend. mate! So, so you get the leotard on, get out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah get the um, the fishnets going and nice. Go. <laughs> we'll enjoy good your man. run. We'll do. But we'll chat soon. And yeah, it was a pleasure, man. It's good seeing you again. Really great to catch up, Ryan. Good luck with everything, mate. We'll we'll stay See tuned. Yeah, we'll do. See you, buddy. Bye. Cheers, bud. Cheers. There it is. We're done. Thank you so much for listening all the way through. We hope you found the episode insightful. If you've got any questions about anything we discussed in this podcast or anything you want to pick up on, please do get in touch. We're on all the social media platforms. Just search for Inspiring African Travel. Tell a friend. If you've not done that already, and tell a different friend about our podcast uh, if you've done that already. And please help us keep spreading the word. And uh, if you've got any suggestions, we're very, very open to different topics. So please do keep in touch. And we'll catch you in a couple of weeks with our next episode. And um, in the meantime, keep well, keep safe and catch you soon.